Welcome. This is Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Be sure to log on to our website, www.cato.org, for a full archive of our podcast as well as many other audio offerings. As director of Cato Center for Representative Government, John Samples has been a conscientious skeptic of the need for and efficacy of campaign finance reform. John is the first to admit that campaign finance reform looks like a good idea, but that its impact on the health of our democracy is anything but good. In his new book, The Fallacy of Campaign Finance Reform, he makes his case clear. John joins us for today's podcast. What is the relationship between speech and money? In the United States, any kind of political speech that you undertake is really going to be involved with money in one way or the other, and you have to spend money to make your speech heard. That means that if there's regulation of the speech, you can also regulate or restrict free speech. It's also true that campaign contributions in particular have a way of speaking on their own. That is, they are a kind of endorsement by individuals or groups of certain candidates. These endorsements can guide the votes or thinking of other voters. What happens when those endorsements drown out the endorsements of lesser-known candidates who are less wealthy? I think it's true that very often that doesn't happen in the United States in the sense that you've got a number of different positions that are represented across the board. It's not clear that that is a a big issue. And I should say also, it's not clear that other candidates who are less wealthy or more importantly can't raise the money from others have very much of a following in the United States or a potential for having that kind of following. We've seen time and again that even something like Howard Dean's long-shot outside campaign, or even in the past, frankly, libertarian political campaigns that didn't have a whole lot of following were able to raise money to get their message out there initially and grew from there. You write in your book that restrictions on money in politics are ways to advance the interests of those who propose such laws and regulations. Why? Compared to being able to accept contributions, say, under contribution limits, If you don't have to raise money in small amounts or you don't have to follow a certain kind of rule, it becomes easier to raise the money. If it's more complicated, if you have to have legal help, if you have to be careful for fear of violating the law, that makes it harder to raise the money. And the person who it affects the most is challengers because challengers to incumbent office holders don't know how to play the system. They often don't have party help or legal help that's free. In other words, it's more costly and more difficult for them to play by the rules, and therefore they raise less money and are less successful. Having already written this book, are there some weaknesses that you can address that others or you yourself have found in it? Well, since I wrote the book, there's a couple of studies came out. In the book, I talk about contribution limits, and contribution limits as a problem for challengers. That is, they make elections less competitive. A couple of studies have come out that suggest that contribution limits reduce the number of times that incumbents win. Now, it's not clear why that's the case, but there's some evidence that I may be ultimately wrong about that. We'll have to see. I make a number of different propositions about how to change the system, and I don't know what people are going to say about that. But so far, I think the evidence is still basically what I have in the book, at least as far as I know. So is the solution then to scrap all campaign finance regulations entirely or to reshuffle them, or what would you recommend? Well, I think the first thing is we have to stop adding to them because we've gone through a period of about 10 years now where, and we seem to be in a strong period of just adding more and more regulations. 
We're at a point now where the regulations themselves do things like limit and restrict spending on messages, spending on ideas, not any kind of contributions to candidates that could corrupt them. We've had situations where nonprofit groups can't spend money trying to get people to call their congressman about an issue. That's against the law right now, 60 days from an election. We had a situation where a movie couldn't be shown 60 days before a campaign because it was critical of the president of the United States. I think all of that suggests that we're getting way overboard at this point. Now, eventually, what is the ultimate solution? I think we need a phased deregulation. I think we could go to a point where we could have a system that basically relied on disclosure and people's judgments about what that disclosure meant for corruption and other issues. I think in that system, you would see candidates being careful insofar as voters cared about the issue of their contributions. Now, in a nutshell, what is the fallacy of campaign reform? Well, the fallacy of campaign finance reform is that it's desirable and that we should have an extensive system of regulation of political speech by regulating money, and that we can expect from that that we will recognize and advance the values, the foundation of the United States, what I call the Madisonian vision of politics, and the American Constitution, the First Amendment. Campaign finance enjoys a high reputation. People think it's a great idea. The only problem is bringing it about. But the facts are otherwise. It's not really justified. The facts don't support it. And over time, we're going to find increasingly that it's just something that restricts electoral competition, restricts our free speech rights. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.